You're listening to the teaching ministry of Discovery Church in Bristol, Tennessee. For more information about Discovery, or for more free audio content, please visit discoverybristol.com. Well, good morning, and congratulations on being here on this beautiful day, right? You made it out in the rain. You heard the rain coming down. You still got out of bed. Just pat on the back for that, right? Uh, so this morning we're in Acts chapter 4. If you've got a Bible, you can begin turning to there. But I thought I'd start out by sharing a story with you about another Sunday morning that I experienced a couple of years back. Christy and I, my wife Christy and I, we had gone on a little weekend adventure. Uh, this was not long after we'd had our first child, and so we left her for the weekend, and we got to go to a cabin that our friends have in a place in West Virginia where we were living at the time called Green Bank. And Green Bank, West Virginia, is this gorgeous part of the state with these beautiful mountains, but then a really weird kind of thing there. In the middle of these mountains, all of a sudden, there is a giant satellite dish. It's one of like the largest man-made structures on Earth. They have this giant satellite dish with hopes of like finding extraterrestrial life and maybe the origins of the Earth, which I could have saved them some time on that one and some money. But in Green Bank, what's special about it with this satellite, it's a radio telescope. So they have a radio blackout in that area. So there's no cell phone coverage, no cell phone towers, there's no radio in your car, there's no Wi-Fi, there's no nothing. You are blocked out when you get into Green Bank, which is one of the reasons I love it. Because then we come back and people are like, did you get that call? Did you get that email? Did you get that text from me? Like, no, I did not because I was in a blackout and nothing could be done about it. Like, I'm sorry, I was completely cut out from life there. So Chris and I had gone to uh, this cabin for the weekend with our friends, and the plan was, I was working at a different church at the time, the plan was that we would just scoot in Sunday morning right back to church. I had to do like the announcements and the offering, really, really critical things of the service. I had to do that, so I was on deck for that, so we were going to get up early, go ahead, put our church clothes on, just cruise from the cabin straight to Charleston, West Virginia, where we were living, and then like be there right at church time's start. So we start going down and like we had a little bit of time, you know, and we're driving like only parents can drive who have left their children for the weekend, right? Like our music is playing. We're just talking like the sun came up and it was beautiful. There's like fall foliage. There were animals just kind of walking. We'd stop and be like, oh, family of deer. Look at that. At one point we got out of the car. We took pictures just of the fog lifting up off of the mountain. It was a beautiful morning and we are driving and have gone for probably about an hour. And then we ended up at this place place called Seneca Rocks, which I have a picture of right here. Now, if you know anything about West Virginia geography, you'd be laughing right now because Seneca Rocks is over here and Charleston is over here. But the problem with Green Bank is there's no GPS, right? So we were just kind of winging it and we're like, we go to this road and I think we take a right on this one. This is one we take a right at. And it wasn't supposed to be a right. It was supposed to be a left. And we ended up an hour out of our way staring at the biggest roadblock you can imagine. I don't know if you've ever been driving and then all of a sudden there is a mountain where there was not supposed to be a mountain. It's a little bit of a jarring experience to hit a roadblock like that. Now, Seneca Rocks, it was beautiful. Like still like the sun was coming up behind those rocks. It was gorgeous. I'm glad I saw it, but it changed our whole mentality for the morning. We had to turn around real quick. We couldn't call anybody because there's no cell phone coverage to say like, I'm not going to be at church this morning. Y'all got to find somebody else to do announcements, but we have to turn around, find our way back, and everything had changed. We're driving the same roads, but now the woods are like dark and ominous instead of happy and light. Like now the animals are running straight at our car trying to kill us, and just everything is like stressful. It changed our whole mentality when we hit hit that roadblock, which maybe you can identify with. Maybe you've hit roadblocks in your life, and then just all of a sudden, the whole day changes. 
Well, in Acts chapter 4, we see the disciples hit their first roadblock after Jesus' death and resurrection. So in Acts chapter 4, we have Peter and John, and up to this point, they've just been cruising. Like the disciples have been cruising. It's been an exciting time. They watched a man raised from the dead, which is awesome. But then after that, the Holy Spirit comes upon them in fire. And then they are able to speak languages that they didn't know and they never studied for and tell tons of people about Jesus because of this, because now they are filled with the Holy Spirit. And then one day, Peter and John, as we talked last week, they're walking to the temple, and they get to this big gate. It must have been beautiful, because they call it the beautiful gate in the temple. They get to this temple gate, and there's a guy laying there who cannot walk, and hasn't been able to walk his entire life. And Peter and John look at him and say, hey, we don't have any money to give you. You're asking for money, but we'll give you something better. Get up and walk. And the guy gets up and walks. And up to this point, like not just in the Bible, but I would say history, up to this point, there's really not been anybody able to heal people like that other than Jesus. So we see Peter and John doing the things that Jesus did. Now they, regular guys, are doing that. So this guy, he hops up, he's dancing around the temple, and everybody in the temple is looking and saying, like, isn't that the guy that we've seen every day laying out, not being able to walk, and now he is able to walk? What in the world happened? So they're all crowding around Peter and John, and this guy's dancing and singing and saying, like, they did this, it was through Jesus. So Peter and John use this as an opportunity to tell this whole crowd that gathers about Jesus, this guy that not long ago was crucified And they now claim raised from the dead. And they're saying, he has given us the power to heal this guy. So that's where Acts chapter 4 starts. This crowd has gathered and there's a big commotion in the temple. But then verse 1 says, and as they were speaking to the people, and the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and preaching in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And so they arrested them. And put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. So again, they're cruising. Everything is going great, but now they're in jail for the night. Now they're about to go before this council of people. So Peter and John have hit a roadblock. The other believers that have been gathered with them, the other disciples are back somewhere, and they're like, where are Peter and John? And then word gets to them that Peter and John are in jail, at least for the night. They don't know at what point. We know it's just for the night because we've read the rest of the book maybe. But the rest of them, they don't know. Peter and John are in jail. So they have hit a massive roadblock. So if you're one of the disciples at this point, you're like, but wait a minute. So what happened to them? If I start doing that, will I end up in jail too? Like, what is their fate? What could be my fate? Roadblock. And then if we go a little bit further, things get a little more heated. We see in verse 5, it says, on the next day, so night in jail, then on the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem. When Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were the high priestly family. So this whole, whole crew gathers, the, the council, the religious elders of the day, they gather. And we kind of know, if you've read some of the other books, we know some of these names. And Luke, I think, writes this out as he talks about the high priests of Annas and Caiaphas. He writes it out, and he's calling back to his previous book, Luke, where there was another guy who was on trial in front of these very same people. The Gospel of John names them by name. Annas Annas and Caiaphas are the very guys that had Jesus arrested and then in the middle of the night put Jesus on a fake trial and had fake accusations brought against Jesus so that then they could hand Jesus over to Pilate and demand for his execution. So these guys that Peter and John are on trial in front of are the very guys responsible for Jesus' execution. And now Peter and John have to stand in front of them. Roadblock. 
So I'd like to, you know, together, if we could just sort of imagine what this would be like, right? If it was not just Peter and John, but it was like Peter and John and you. How would this conversation go? Like if you've spent the night in jail, you were a part of this miracle, and then the next day this council of elders gathered, and you're on trial with Peter and John, like what are you going to be saying? Like I imagine, like I might be like, Your Honor, if you could just hold on a minute and let me speak to my associates, and then start whispering to Peter and John and be like, guys, we got to play this cool, because these are the dudes that handed Jesus over for execution. We want to be real careful with this. Just let me do all the talking. And then you're going to be like, Your Honor, uh, what had happened was we were just walking by this guy. He couldn't walk, and then he just jumped up and started walking, scared us to death. I don't know how it happened, and if you don't mind, we'll just go along our way. Because in my brain, I'm like, I want to be careful because these dudes killed Jesus. They might try and kill me too. Or if we're in this position, maybe you start to get a little bit bold, right? And you're like, Peter, John. Let me do the talking. I'll tell him what's up. And then you get big and bad in front of the counselor. You're like, I'll tell you about what power this man walked. By the same power that I'm going to make you not walk if you're not careful, it's Jesus Christ. And then just start preaching real big to them. I don't know what you would do if it was Peter and John and you in that situation. Maybe you'd kind of go at it boldly. Maybe you'd be a little bit more of a coward. It's, it's hard and it's fun to talk about those things, but it can be hard to imagine it. Another question would be this. The last time you were in that situation, what did you do? And I know what you're thinking. Well, Elliot, I've never been in that situation because I've never healed a guy in my life. Okay, good point. But I would argue that we have been in similar situations, not something because we perform some type of miracle, but I would, I would wager that you have been in a situation where someone has asked you about an incident in your life and how you made it through that incident. Or something that's gone on for you and what the cause of that thing was. And so they're asking Peter and John, by what power were you able to heal this guy? Well, we could ask similar things, but maybe with different words. By what power were you able to hold your head up when you lost your job? By what power were you able to to get over that disease, to come back from that disease? By what power did you make it through and this loved one in your life died? By what power are you still married after all of these years? By what power are you single on Valentine's Day and you don't seem angry about it, right? We get asked similar questions, maybe of a lesser degree. By what power are are your kids normal? Like, how have you just raised normal kids? How did that happen? We get asked similar questions that as people of faith, we would answer that it was Jesus. Jesus is the only reason that I was able to be married this many years. Jesus is the only reason that my kids are normal. It is not off of me, I promise you. Jesus is the only reason that I was able to overcome this disease or overcome this hardship in my life. It was from Jesus. So when you were in that situation, the last time you were in that situation, how did you answer? How did you handle it? And if we look at Peter and John's situation and then we compare it to our situation, I don't know if you responded as boldly as them. I know that I'm often guilty of kind of backing away and not being nearly as bold with this. And you kind of feel that too, probably. Just kind of the the feeling of the current of the day is that it's not too cool to be talking about your faith in a public setting, right? It's kind of frowned upon, right? There was a a study from the Barna Group, which is a Christian research group. There's a study they released just like a couple of weeks ago about evangelism today, about sharing your faith in today's culture and what that feels like. And they broke this down generationally, what different generations feel about sharing their faith. And they found that millennials, which is the younger generation, and the millennials get picked on a ton, and I might pick on them a little bit today, but it's okay because I'm one of them. Like I'm on the older end of the millennials, but they say I'm in there. But they found that millennials almost half 47% of millennials say that evangelism is wrong. 
40% of Christian millennials, 47% of Christian millennials say that sharing their faith to another person in hopes of that other person adopting their faith is a wrong thing to do. Now, the generations ahead of them, the number's a little bit smaller. Only like 27% of Generation X feel that it's wrong, and maybe 19% of the baby boomer generation feels that that's wrong. And so that's not to pick on millennials and say, like, ah, millennials are are, are stupid, they're going about this the wrong way, but to show the course of our culture is that the further along we have gotten, the more frowned upon or the more weird or the less likely we are to share our faith about Jesus with people. It's just not an acceptable thing to do anymore. And we could look at some of the reasons for this. Um, we could look at some of the reasons, say, that like another study Barna released is that 60% of the U.S. population labels an attempt to convert somebody to your religion as an act of ex- extremism. So 60% of America would say that me coming to you and trying to tell you about Jesus in hopes of you adopting faith in Jesus is an extremist act. And usually we couple the word extremism with terrorism, right? With crazy people. And we don't want to be extremists. But the majority of our culture is beginning to view that as an extremist act, of talking about Jesus as an extremist act. In that same survey I mentioned earlier, 40% of millennials believe that if somebody disagrees with you, that person is judging you, which other generations agree, but it's lesser also. 22% Gen X, 9% of the boomers believe that if somebody disagrees with you, they're judging you. Which just may, like, you don't even really, I don't know what that term exactly means. Like, I kind of maybe know the feeling, but what it means, I'm not always sure. But if you talk to, like, the teenagers, like, the students in our youth group, I'll talk to them sometimes, like, well, what if you did this thing? They'd be like, oh, well, people would judge you. And I'm like, and? Yes? And they're like, no, they would judge you. And for them, it's like the worst thing that could happen, right? Like, judging, being judged, and death for them, like, they just, no, you don't want to be judged. I'm like, well, what happens when you're judged? They're like, you're judged. I'm like, okay. So more and more we feel like if people disagree with us, they're not just saying, well, I think something differently. They're thinking negative things about us that they're judging us. And so maybe those are some of the reasons as to why it is less and less popular or we are less and less likely to share our faith with people is there's maybe legitimate reasons backing it up. But I also want to point out some ironic stats that they included in this study. And that is that 94%, at least 94% of Christians across every generation believe that the best thing that could happen to a person is to meet Jesus. Almost all Christians across all generations believe that the best thing that can happen to you and me and anybody else is to meet Jesus. And then 96% of Christians believe that part of faith in Jesus is being a witness for Jesus. Did you catch that? Do you see the irony here that we're going to say it's the best thing that happened to me, it's the best thing that could happen to you? We're going to say that the majority of us, that part of being a Christian is is sharing our faith in Christ, and yet almost half of younger generations are going to say, but that's wrong. I'm called to do it. It's the best thing that can happen, but it would be a wrong thing for me to do. Now, how does that add up? And I thought in this sermon, like, maybe I should go through some of the words where Jesus says, go and talk about me. Go ye therefore into all the world. All the places where Jesus says to tell people about him so that other people could come to know Christ, know about his sacrifice for them, his love for them, so that they could have life and eternity with him. I thought we could spend the rest of our time with that, but these stats show that I don't need to because you already think that. You already know that being part of a Christian is is sharing your faith. We believe that. But do we do it? So that last time where you had a situation where somebody was like, by what power did this happen in your life? What if instead of it being like you with Peter and John back in Acts, what if Peter and John were like fast forwarded into history with you in that situation, right? 
And maybe you're around the break room and somebody's like, hey, you just went through this thing. Like, I can't believe that you're still standing. How did you do that? And you know in the back of your head the answer is Jesus. And so Peter and John are like, hey, hey, all right, what's at risk here? If you tell them the truth, if you tell them you got through this crisis because of Jesus, are they going to stone you to death? And you're like, well, no. And they're like, oh, no, okay. Are they going to, like, throw you out of your house, put you in jail? No, they won't do it. They torture your family? No. They judge you. Oh, then all by all means, let's not talk about Jesus in this scenario because we wouldn't want to be judged, right? I don't know if Peter and John would be that sarcastic. That's kind of more if I were on your shoulder, I guess. But if we were in that situation and we had them with us and we're backing down from this situation, they would be baffled. Why are you not talking about Jesus in a culture where legally you're allowed to talk about Jesus? Nobody's putting you under threat of death or penalty or anything like that. And yet we are afraid to talk about Christ, to talk about what we believe is the best thing that happened to us. We are afraid to do what we all agree is what Jesus has called us to do. And so slowly we've seen our climate change, and I don't think we've, we've done a good job. We've allowed that climate to change us. And so Peter and John, when they're in their situation where their lives are on the line, how did they react? Did they kind of shrink back? No way. And you know they didn't. And we'll read, let, let's read what happens here. It says in verse 5, On the next day, the rulers and elders gathered. We already read that. We go down to verse 7. It said, When they had set them in their midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, If we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? I love his, like, there's a little bit of sarcasm in Peter there. Like, y'all are upset that we did this good thing to this guy who wasn't walking, and now he is. Also, he kind of points out, like, you guys aren't asking us, like, can we do it again? You guys aren't asking it, like, did it really happen? You're not finding more people that we could heal. You're accusing us of stuff. And so Peter says, if you're asking by what power we did this good deed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified... Whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Peter gets up in their face about it, right? Like he could have just said it was by Jesus. But he says it was by Jesus who you crucified who you guys killed. He's all up on him. Like, he, he is not backing down. So now I think the question that we have to ask is, where does this boldness in Peter and John come from? Where does this kind of throwing, like, the idea of your life and death, your safety away, where does that come from, and how can I get it? How can we get that? First off, we have to see that Peter, it says he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And this comes as an exact fulfillment of Jesus' words to them, which Luke, the author of Acts, records in his other book, Luke. In Luke 12, 11 through 12, Jesus is talking to his followers and he says, they will bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities. That's exactly what has happened in Acts chapter 4. He says, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. And I believe that's happening to Peter and John right now, is that they're filled with the Holy Spirit. There was no question, like, they, they might have been going into this, like, what do we do? What do we say? But the Holy Spirit gave them the words. Also, I want to highlight some of the things Peter says, the, the poet he quotes in this when he talks about the cornerstone. That's from a poem in Psalm, Psalm 118. 
And he talks about this cornerstone that them, the builders, the religious leaders, had rejected this stone and said, this isn't good enough to be a part of our building. But now that stone has become the cornerstone. He says, that's Jesus. This is taking a piece from a psalm in 118. And I just want to read for you. I don't have all these on the screen, but I want to read for you some of the verses leading up to it. Verse 11, here's what the psalmist talks about. He says, they surround me on every side. Verse 12, they surrounded me like bees. I was pushed hard so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. Verse 14, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Verse 17, I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The stone the builders have rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. I marvel, it marvels in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. So let me just talk to you about the perspective this poet brings. He is talking about being surrounded on every side, like bees. You ever been surrounded by bees? It's not a good thing. One time I mowed over a bee's nest. It was terrifying, right? This is what this poet is talking about. I am surrounded like bees. They surround me. But then he says, yet I will still praise the Lord. Why? Because I will live. I will not die. And then he talks about this cornerstone being rejected, which Jesus says, or Peter says, is Jesus. And at the end of it, don't you love this? It says, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. We know that verse, right? This is the day. This is a day that the Lord has made. Don't leave me hanging. The Lord has made. I will. Thanks a lot. Thanks for backing me up. Really put myself out on that one. You didn't back me up with a song. You know the song. You weren't going to sing the song. But we sing that song. We quote this verse, right, on the sunshiny days, right? Not days like today when it is gross and raining. Like nobody got up, opened the curtains, was like, this is the day the Lord has made. I shall rejoice in it, right? Like you looked out and you're like, ugh, gross, right? Like at least I did. I did right? We don't rejoice in the Lord in these days. We certainly don't rejoice in the Lord when the psalmist is talking about being surrounded by bees. Do we rejoice in those moments? No. But Peter and John, here they are in front of this council that could kill them, and they are rejoicing in the Lord. I think Peter was able to adopt the perspective of this poet in the Psalms, a lot of peas in that sentence. I think he was able to do that because he had spent time with Jesus, and now he is filled with the Holy Spirit. And so when they hit this roadblock, there's no kind of changing mentality that things are darker for Peter and John. They hit this roadblock, and Peter says, I shall not die, I will live. He says, roadblock, where I'm going, we don't need roads. To quote Dr. Emmett Brown from Back to the Future, right? Because Peter knows the worst thing you could do to me right now is kill me, and that just means life eternally with Jesus for me. So the worst thing that could happen ain't that bad for Peter and John. And they have this perspective. When they hit a roadblock, their mentality didn't change. It wasn't like the woods got dark and animals started attacking their car. Peter and John said, it's a roadblock. We're going to blow through it. Because at the end of our life, we get to go to be with Jesus. And so if we get back to our story here, here's how it wraps up. Verse 13, it says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, I love that part. As an uneducated common guy myself, I love this. They see that they're regular dudes, and they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another. So they start having a little talk. What shall we do with these men? For a notable sign has been done, and it's evident to everybody in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more in his name. And everybody like nods. They're like, yeah, yeah, good, break. So they call them back in, Peter and John, and they charge them not to speak or teach at all in Jesus' name. But Peter and John answered them, get this, so bold. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you be the judge. Which is funny because they're being the judges right there, right? 
for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. He's saying, we can't help it. You tell us what you want to tell us, whether that's right or wrong. All I know is I can't help but talk about what I've seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they said, yeah, no, don't do it. We'll, we'll hurt you if you do. They let them go, finding no way to punish them because the people were all praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. So even the religious leaders, even the guys that are upset at Peter and John, cannot help but see that power has happened among them. They cannot help but recognize that these are regular people doing extraordinary things. It must be because they spent time with Jesus. How can we, regular people, begin to do extraordinary things? How can we adopt this perspective that there's no roadblock for us because where we are going, we don't need roads? I think it's just like Peter and John. we got to spend time with Jesus. We've got to spend time with our Savior. We've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We've got to adopt that fire so that when we hit a roadblock in our life, our mentality doesn't change. But instead we say, there's no roadblock when I'm walking with Jesus. The worst that could happen to me just means I get to go be with Jesus. That needs to be our perspective. And if that is truly our perspective, which I think only comes through spending time with Jesus, then it's going to become easier and easier for us to share our faith with other people. To say, man, let me tell you about what's going on in my life. Let me tell you why I don't see any roadblocks in my life. Let me tell you why this huge thing that was rough and hard for me didn't take me down. It's because I've been spending time with Jesus. In the end, that's the easiest thing in the world, right? Spending time with Jesus. We're just cracking open the Bible and reading about him. We're just taking some time to, to pray to him. This morning, we have spent time with Jesus just by singing some songs. That's the easiest thing in the world but it equips us to begin doing the hardest things in the world, of sharing our faith in a culture where that's frowned upon, of being able to stand up against people that might want our destruction, of being able to make it past roadblocks, all because we've spent time with Jesus. And so Peter and John, they walk out of there. Next week, we get to talk about what happens next. It's more exciting things. But they walk out of there, I imagine, praising God, but I skipped a little part here, verse 4, of what happened when they shared their faith with this guy, with this crowd, of what happened. So the guy gets healed, and before they're arrested, it tells us that many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. Now, the book of Acts has been tracking with us. It started out with 120 believers, 120 disciples that were following Jesus. And then I think it was 3,000-ish are added to their numbers on Pentecost. And now we hear that the number has grown to about 5,000 men. They're not even counting like the women and children, just the men. There's now 5,000 because Peter and John boldly stood up, even though there was a roadblock right in front of them and said, let me tell you where this came from. It came from Jesus. And you can have the same power just by spending time with Jesus and giving your life over to him. So I think all of this wraps up with just one challenge today, and that is for us to spend more time with Christ so that we uneducated common people can begin doing extraordinary things like blowing through roadblocks in our lives and sharing our faith with other people about this Jesus who we agree is the best thing that could happen to them and who we agree has commanded us to talk about him. So we gotta stop looking at this idea of sharing our faith with somebody, of them having the potential of eternal life. We gotta stop looking at the roadblock of, yeah, but I might offend them or they might judge me. We gotta stop seeing that as a roadblock but begin spending more time with Jesus so that our perspective, our mentality doesn't change 
when we hit roadblocks. But instead, we see a new opportunity to share our faith in Christ. Let me pray for us. God, I pray for the believers and the non-believers alike this morning, that we could all begin spending more time with you. That those of us that know you, God, that this week would just be a week where we're on our knees extra long. And that those that don't know you, God, that we could see people in our lives, God, where we've seen Jesus's work. The way that they've blown through roadblocks. I pray that you would place those people around us this week. God, I pray that you would help us to live in the reality that just by spending time with you, the easiest thing in the world, we can conquer the hardest things in the world. And so God, now we turn our hearts to you as we sing more about you, we sing to you, and as we spend time with you. We thank you, God, that there is no roadblock because where we are going, we don't need roads. Where we are going, death can't touch us because we are going to be with you. It's in your name we pray, amen.